7.02 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Ugh. I see you stumbled upon a theme for today. Hip-hop and Christmas, together at last. Had you guys have some guy stuck in the snow in his car <laughs> listening to the show. And this is the music that comes up. <laughs> the crossover between rap and Xmas. It's very limited. It's not explored enough, I don't think. You got Christmas and Hollis with Run DMC. Yep. Um, I think Curtis Blow had Christmas rapping. Okay. And interestingly enough, Outcast, hmm. Players Ball. Right. They were originally tasked by their label to come up with a Christmas song, in which they replied, why are you trying to ruin our careers before they even got started? This was back in, like, 95. <laughs> so they actually wrote Players Ball as their response to a Christmas song because that was what all the players did on Christmas Day back in the day. Fun little fact there for you. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we are in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. You put forth a little exercise prior to going to the break, and the, the, the people have responded, which is mm. great. So reset all this for us. So the question is... Can the Canucks, in theory, win a Stanley Cup if Petey and Hughes are their two best players? So no one can be better than Petey and Hughes. You can fill out the roster with a bunch of really good players. Now you have to be realistic within the salary cap. And, you know, but nobody can be better than those two. So Petey's your number one center. Hughes is your number one defenseman, and both those guys are even better than, in theory, your goalie. The second part of the question is, how likely is it that the Canucks can do that while Petey and Hughes are still in their primes? Now, for the most part, people have answered yes to the first question. Okay. So we've got this one. Absolutely, it's possible. Petey can be considered a generational talent. It's going to depend on if this management group can make the space they need. Okay, I think you're throwing around generational a little bit too uh, loosely there. Very liberal. Um, but fair enough. Petey is a very good player. And I think Petey, if he keeps working on his game, he could be capable of winning or at least being in the race for a major award, maybe the Selkie. Or even if he really takes it to another level, mm -hmm. the heart. Now, the competition for the heart is extremely high. We're talking about McDavid and McKinnon and Kale McCarr, like very, very good players. But that's what you have to match up to yep. in order to win the Stanley Cup. When the Canucks were in the Stanley Cup final, most recently they had a Hart Trophy winner in Henrik Sedin. They had uh, a Selkie winner in Ryan Kessler, and they had a Hall of Fame goalie, and they still couldn't get it done. But that is the bar. Mm -hmm. um, there. Here's another one. Uh, yes, for sure, they can do that, and actually, easily. Okay, easily. Petey can be better than anyone on the Blues team that won the Stanley Cup a few years ago. Hughes can have a Petrangelo-type impact, although it would be different stylistically. I think a lot of people look at that St. Louis team and go, if that team can win the Stanley Cup, maybe you don't need... 
the greatest team of all time to so win the Stanley Cup. The, in, to keep in this vein with the conversation of the question you put out there, their PD and Hughes were Ryan O'Reilly and Alex Petrangelo yeah. when they won. Mm-hmm. Good. Good players both. O'Reilly was fantastic that season. He won the Selkie that year. Yeah. And Petrangelo, while not a Norris winner, has always been knocking on the door of being one yeah. of the elite defenders in the NHL. Mm-hmm. I'd probably say compared to more recent, and we're just going with the duos here, so Colorado's is, I would say, uh, the bar right now, the standard, the par excellence, right? Incredible, yeah. Where I, it's McKinnon I, and McCarr. Yeah. And I think that that abs team last year might have been the best team of the salary cap era. Maybe one of the Tampa Bay teams was. but So, like, you don't have to quite reach that bar. Tampa you have Bay, to reach though. a very high bar. The, t- the previous two Stanley Cups prior to Colorado's were won by Tampa Bay. Take your pick at who the best forward is. For sake of argument, I'll say Kucherov. Yeah. Say Kucherov and Hedman. Really, really good duo. Right? First talk- ballot Hall of Famers? Well, yeah. you're talking about a Hart Trophy guy and a yeah, Norris First guy. ballot Hall of Famers. Yeah. Uh, the Blues, we already went through. Back one pre- previous. Washington, you'd say, okay, John Carlson and Alex Ovechkin. Do you think Ovi's going to make the Hall of Fame? I don't know. Who's and you know who was really good that year, too, was Kuznetsov. Yes, and then go back to the two back-to-back Stanley Cup champions from Pittsburgh. And it was Crosby, and then in one, it was Latang, And then the second one was the anomaly where they didn't have the elite blue liner. But point remains. Um, there is a blueprint there, and I see what you're getting at with the question, where if you have those two pieces, really number one center, number one defenseman, right? That's the blueprint. You need those two pieces. Otherwise, you're kind of not – you're spent. You're shot. It's not going to happen. Now, the question is, can these two – and by that, we mean Pedersen and Hughes – be in that echelon to where they're touching, I guess, for lack of a better way to say it, uh, can they touch O'Reilly and Petrangelo in terms of status and ability and, you know, talent to go and win championships? So here's a dissenter, Rob and Surrey. No, the Canucks cannot win a cup with Pedersen and Hughes as their top two players. Not a chance. PD tends to vanish from time to time and doesn't have the heart or grit to be a good playoff performer. And although Hughes puts up good numbers, he's terrible defensively. If I'm not mistaken, he's a defenseman, which is kind of a problem. So you're going to have the dissent on this. But, for, but, but I think if we, if we did a vote, if we did a vote, mm-hmm. the answer would be yes in theory. Now, the tougher part is can they do it? Can they put together this great supporting cast that obviously – even the greats like McKinnon and Makar and Kucherov and Hedman and Sid and Gino and Latang, the supporting cast, can they put that together in time mm-hmm. for Petey and Hughes to still be in their primes? Now, Hughes is 23, I think. Petey is 24. So let's be generous here and say their primes are until they're like 31 or 32. Okay? That's, yeah, that's generous. That's very generous. Yeah. So you're giving eight years there. Mm-hmm. Now, the unfortunate part for me in all this is like, I think that your best chance of winning a Stanley Cup is not to do the whole like, all right, we're going to aim for this one year, or maybe it's going to be a two-year window when we're really going to go for it, mm-hmm. right? And that's what is discouraging about this situation because I don't think the Canucks are within, even if they make all the right moves over the next little while, I'm talking like pulling some rabbits out of the hat mm-hmm. in order to get rid of bad contracts, finding some young players however they can, 
developing better down in the AHL, I think at minimum they're three years away. And I think that's being generous. Sure. I think that's being generous. So at that point, you got Petey uh, is what, 27 or 28, mm-hmm. and Hughes is 26 or 27. And that is the most that is the most generous timeline I think I can provide. Yeah. So is that something that you should bet on? Should you bet on that being the best route? Keeping those two together and going, all right, we're just going to try our best to try and put together a good team for those guys so they can take a shot. Right, because inherent in that explanation is that the, the pieces you surround those two with can't just be adequate and you no, can't really miss it have on to be all. fantastic well again I, we, so Colorado and I know it's a high bar but that's the reality of the situation the defending Stanley Cup champions they had the blueprint where they had McCarr and McKinnon oh by the way they also had Rantanen, Landeskog, Kadri, Taves, Bowen Byram like take your pick on the amount of good Really, really good, high-end, quality, surrounding pieces, right? And I'm not saying that Landis Cog and Randit are spare pieces, but they're not the guys. The drivers on that team are McKinnon and McCarr. So, again, go back to the Canucks. Now, I there, there are going to be people that are going to push back and say, it's, you can't even do it with these two guys. Like, I was talking to someone the other day, uh, a hockey analyst I respect, very well. It wasn't me, was it? No, I said respect. Yeah, and oh, sorry, respect. sorry. Respect yeah. is the key word. I, I right. mis- misheard you. I thought you said hate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> then I talked to the one that I hated for three hours every day for the rest of my life. No, um, I was talking to someone. He worked for an NHL team before, and he threw out, and it blew my mind until I started looking at it. He said, I know everyone loves Quinn Hughes, and I know Vancouver hasn't had a defenseman of this caliber for the 52 years that the franchise has been in existence. But he's like, honestly, if you look at the the comparables historically and what he might end up being, he might end up being Brian Campbell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brian Campbell. Yeah. 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 He hasn't, he hasn't found his, he, he's not defensively. He's not Duncan Keith. And this is the comparison I always use mm-hmm. because Quinn Hughes himself either when he was drafted or soon after he was drafted, I remember reading a story and saying, like, the one player I really admire is Duncan Keith. And he said, it's not because he's he's an undersized guy like me. It's not because he puts up points. It's because of his intensity and his commitment to playing in all areas of the ice. And right now... I just want to... Like, like, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, I just no, no, I'm just out. saying I, I don't see him as a defensive answer right now. And I think you need your number one defenseman to be able to play in all situations. I'm not trying to even... He's still the best defenseman in Canucks history, but right. that but that's a low bar. That's yeah. a bit, Now, I want to table that for a sec because that's important on all this. But I'm not saying this to try and diminish or underscore like how good Brian Campbell was. As a matter of fact, I think history will show that he was a lot better than everyone thought he was and everyone thought he was pretty good, right? Won a Stanley Cup. Four-time All-Star, uh, he, just a really good player in an era where defensemen aren't racking up points like they are right now. But I do think, and this is after watching Hughes play a lot of games now, that um, the ghosts of Canucks seasons past and the franchise's total inability to ever land a qu- defenseman of that caliber has really thrown off kilter our understanding of what he is and what he might be. Well, he needs a Chris Tanev. Like, that's what he needs. And until he develops the defensive end of his game, which maybe he will, maybe he won't, I don't know. Yeah. Here's until I'll... that happens, though, he needs a Tanev. He needs a guy that's awesome in his own end. Doesn't have to be a good 
offensive powerhouse just needs to be solid. But that's not, but that's not what I'm getting at. Like what he needs. What I'm saying is is that what he is. His ceiling is maybe not what everyone locally thought it was oh, going yeah, to be. Oh yeah, for sure. I th- and that's a fa- and it's not a bad thing. No, some guys are terrific defensemen. Yeah, some guys aren't destined to be one of the greatest generation, one of the greatest defensemen of their generations. They're not intended to be. Yeah. Norse caliber yeah, he's or not Norse be voting. Macar, for example. Yeah, but I'm but I wonder if there's going to be a gap between him and some other guys, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's always a gap, right? But, but well, I think when we thought when he broke in that there wasn't going to be. When he broke in, I remember thinking this is a guy with the talent to be like Niedermeyer esque, sure, mm-hmm. yeah, right. And yeah. I'm not sure or that that's right? and I'm not sure that that's there right now. Mm-hmm. I think he could still end up being a guy that flirts with being a really good number one defenseman, but is never going to be one of those guys that's hoisting hardware at the end of the year, be it Stanley Cup, Conn Smythe, or the Norris, right? That's just... I like this text. Brian Campbell would also be the best defenseman in Canucks history. Well, see, there's the there, there you go. No, that's, that's very true, right? And that's what you kind of have to consider. Now, I think Pedersen is on a, a slightly different plane. Mm. I think his ceiling is higher, but here's the thing. The competition to be an elite number one center is just as high as trying to be an elite number one Norris caliber defenseman. So when you start saying, is PD the guy that you want to build around to win a cup? You've got to say, how's he going to do in those matchups with three guys? I always bring up three guys in particular, and they're all the M's. Uh, McKinnon, Matthews, and uh, McDavid. And, the, and that, that's the, the bar. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. If you're not in that conversation, or you're not at least in the conversation to say like, can you beat them? Not with regularity, but can you match up? That's I think where it's he, at. I think he can be in the conversation as one of the best two-way players. Yeah. Two-way forwards. Yeah, and I, I, think, really I think he can too. He, he's, got, he's got such tremendous instincts, uh, both offensively and defensively. He just sees the game really well. Um, so I think, I, think PD is, I, I think PD is their best player. He wasn't last year. Mm-hmm. But he he is their best player right now on this team. Um, I guess the whole thing, again though, is if you're talking about what's the best path forward, is this team legitimately going to be able to build a good enough supporting cast? So think about what a good supporting cast. Well, is compare them to maybe of. Bergeron. Like if you're talking about a best like a two way player. Well, no, no, no. Just just like think of what a good supporting cast looks like. Right. You've usually signed some veterans um that are you're going to pay you're going to you're going to pay them UFA years but they're going to deliver on those contracts right yeah, i mean uh, um Dan Hamhuis for example when the Canucks signed him but you're also going to need to find some really good value pickups and that's either really good scouting or good development yep. or they're just young and cheap they're young cheap labor and, and then, right yeah. now, the Canucks aren't even close to providing that level of support. Mm-hmm. They have so much to tear down first before they get the supporting cast, and that's going to be one of the toughest things. Um, but I don't hear okay, – now, just to get into the, the frustrating part of the conversation, is I'm not, uh, I'm not at all convinced that uh, the managerial group is going to go down that road. And it's it's kind of pains me to say it out loud, but I think that they are very much of the look at what St. Louis did, get into the dance and see what happens. Your goalie goes on a heater, your guys, you know, start playing really well at a certain time, and it's not a long term sustainable plan. It's we just are good enough to get in and then see what happens when we get in. 
right? And I think what they're looking at are teams like St. Louis, who just kind of got in and went on a run, and then that looks like it was an anomaly, but they still did it. Remember when Washington won in 2018? That kind of came out of nowhere, too. They were down 2 nothing in that opening round series to Columbus, and a lot of people thought the window would slam shut on them. And I think that part of it has to do with what they inherited. Again, I don't really agree with any of any of what I think is going on, but this is what I think is going on, right? The Miller contract would suggest that that's the thought process. Bringing in players that are around the age of 23 to 25 would suggest that that's the process. Yeah. Not cutting ties yet and still probably going to make that one final push to re-sign Bo Horvat leads me to believe that. The conversation about extending Luke Shen leads me to believe that. It's more of a live in the day, win now, and then as Alvin said, kind of awkwardly, but I got the point of what he was trying to say. It's like, you just keep building and you just keep getting better. Now, just keep doing your best. Again, uh, like I want to have like a PSA on the screen, like... The, the the words spoken by the host do not reflect what he is actually thinking. Yeah, I do not endorse this plan. However, I just want to get that out there so everyone understands that I think this is what's going on with management, and I think this is the approach that they're taking. I don't agree with it, but I think I've got a decent enough read of the situation, in large part because of the show that we did yesterday, where we came in here and we are like, what the hell's the plan? They're obviously not going to tell us. They're not going to be like, Halford Bruff, let's go for drinks. I'll give you the whole plan. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to figure it out, and I do we're think... We're halfway drink through. They're like, that's the plan. You're yeah. like, that's it. Can you guys finish that up and cover the tip? That would be great. But that's kind of where we're at with trying to figure things out, and I think I got a decent handle on it. And it is kind of scary, because if you go back and just look at historically... Um, teams really haven't had a lot of success with this. There's not. Just p- p- point to me to some teams where a new management group inherited a fairly established team, and that's what the Canucks were yeah, at that they've point. Been like, they've been around. Yeah. All the players have been around for a long time. And instead of going in a new direction, they tried to tweak and make some minor adjustments and cosmetic changes. Again, these guys inherited a group that had one brief playoff run in the bubble. Outside of that, a lot of playoff misses and a lot of losing. Exemplified by their captain, mm-hmm. who has been here for a lot of losses. Yeah, it's easier to go into a situation where, you know, Pittsburgh, for example, had a few years of struggling because they couldn't find enough support for Sid and Gino and and Latang. Mm-hmm. And then they improved with their AHL development and they made some smart trades like you know, they put that entire HBK line together via trades with Kessel and Benino and Haglin. Those were those were smart moves. Mm-hmm. But what they had, which gets us to the beginning of this conversation, was proven entities. Like, no one was sitting there and going, do you think the Penguins, if they put together a really good supporting cast, could win a Stanley Cup with Sid and Gino sure. and Latang, because people will be like, uh, they already did. Yep. So the answer is yes. Yeah, and to his credit, Rutherford and Alvin as well did a really good job of finding those surrounding pieces mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh. A really good job, right? I guess if we were going to use um, the construction analogy where do you renovate or tear it back to the studs, uh, they would have been the guys that come in at the end and put down like the really nice marble flooring or countertops or tile, you know, like they're the finishers. They're not, they were at least in Pittsburgh. They weren't the foundation setters. They weren't the guys doing the grunt work, laying um, concrete and, you know, out in the freezing cold, putting the framing of the wood on the house. They were finishers. That's what they did in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. The foundation was already there. I hope that analogy worked. Uh, But that was what 
they got he's lauded for. That's what that group was lauded for in Pittsburgh. And make no mistake, they did a tremendous job, especially after they lost Latang to that injury. He piecemealed together a defense with Trevor Daly and Justin Schultz and handsome Ron Hainsey, mm-hmm. where they just found a group that worked. He built a third line out of trades with Benino and but Hagland I, and Kessel. I always come back to he had Sid. But he had all he those had pieces Sid. in place. He had money, right? too. He, so, had, he, had, he had cap had space. Flexibility. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so again, compare that to the situation that he inherited in Vancouver. I think that part of the sales job and part of the reason that he was here was that there was a belief on both parties, and by this I mean ownership and management, that they could do it. That with the pieces that he had, the foundational pieces that he had here, Hughes, Pedersen, and Demko, that he was enough of a wheeler and dealer, and they were they had enough experience that they could build around those guys. I think you're 100% right. Now, I think the problem that they're facing right now is uh, flat cap has killed them. It hasn't allowed Rutherford to be Rutherford. Can't wheel or deal. Yeah. And you're looking at a team that is now the rot set in. Man, I'm using all the housing analogies today. Yeah. The rot is set in. The sump because, just overflowed. Oh, yeah, right. Because... <laughs> Because the losing is eating away at a bunch of the guys' confidence. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, can't even get the contractor on the phone. <laughs> they've they, they've had to move out. They're like the three best young prospects they have in the organization are Pod Colson, Hoaglander, and Rathbone. So you did, can make that argument. They've all had to be extricated from the team so that they can rebuild their confidence down in the minors. At this point, is this just a write-off year for the men? Do you think? Do you think that's where they're at? They're like, look, we can't make any moves. We can't do any trades. We we gotta wait till they, the Boudreaux I, contract I, I, runs out. Is this just sort of like let's just wait till the end of the year and just you know whatever now at this point? I mean maybe, but I don't think you can afford to think of it like that. And I'm pretty sure they're not thinking of it. They're, I don't think they're sitting there going like, "Well, I'm gonna go to Mexico for a few months, right?" Like and <laughs> sayonara. Because, you know, we'll, we'll oh see. wait, that's Japan. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens uh, when we get back because this is a write off year. What's going on right now is hurting the organization. It is hurting the business of the operation, and see that's only, the re- that's you, the real rot right yeah, there that he's and, talking about. And you only Booze have to wonder from the fans. You only have to wonder what PD's thinking, mm-hmm. what Quinn Hughes is thinking. Like you know, there are reports out there right now that Bo is just done. Like he's done with Vancouver. It's it's over now. I don't know if I believe those reports, but if they were true, I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. by that. Uh, we'll talk to Thomas Drantz about all this. Coming up next, someone texted in and said, you guys are bringing the house of positivity to um, accentuate Drance's level we? of negativity. Especially, glad. I think you should probably re-listen to that segment <laughs> because wasn't that positive. Uh, you're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. A Christmas city is big and beautiful, bright lights everywhere. A place where you 731 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. What's this, eh, dog? It is Christmas City. They don't say who's singing. This sounds like the introductory song of, like, the Santa Claus Part 5. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Straight to DVD. And it's, like, not Tim Allen. It's just some guy. <laughs> yeah. It's a tight budget to get number five out the door. That's why we have this unlicensed music. Tim Allen's stunt double <laughs> making his break into acting. His crappy brother, Todd Allen. <laughs> Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are smack in the middle of hour two here. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. 
pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, Our next guest, I don't even know how late he must have been up last night penning this opus. Hapless, helpless Canucks are downright mediocre. That was the gamer following a 5-1 loss to the St. Louis Blues on Monday night at Rogers Arena. Joining us now, author of said piece. Uh, You read him in The Athletic. You hear him right here on Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. It's the Drancer, Thomas Drance, Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. What up, Drancer? Not much, just uh, making plans to watch Jingle All the Way 2 with Larry the Cable Guy. Very excited. (laughs) Oh, that will be good, huh? I forgot about Larry the Cable Guy. He was so popular. It's a three-hour movie, too, for some reason. Have you ever seen the Greg Giraldo roast of Larry the Cable Guy? No. In the middle of it, he just yells. He's like, why are you so popular? Oh, that was the guy that was so frustrated. I've actually watched a documentary about him. It was on the dark side of comedy. Yeah, yeah. He was, some, he, was, he was like, I work so hard at this, mm-hmm. and then you are yeah. popular. He said, he said, most people buy tickets to your show because they've just never seen a cable guy before. <laughs> <laughs> I love the earnest Larry the Cable Guy conversation. It's pretty Great. good. Okay, let, I let's, thought it was a throwaway joke. No, no, no. I, I got a lot of takes on Larry the Cable Guy. But, that's, alas. That's awesome. And, and a dog like, gives us the runtime of the film, too. Like, yeah. Good job, boys. <laughs> Three hours, 14 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Drancer, um, and, and this was kind of suggested in your article, and, and we, we mentioned this right when we got in uh, this morning. The Canucks can't even afford to keep this team together. That's how screwed they are. I mean, I think that's true when you look at the, the cast face. And, and, I mean, the entire team. Like, it would be very difficult to return this entire team given sort of the position that Bo Horvath's put himself in, given the position that Andre Kuzmenko has put himself in, frankly, given the case uh, that Ethan Bear is building for himself and his arbitration rights. Um, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's what's scary about this, truly, right? Like, that Blues team, first of all, is not. I know they're. I know they're on a bit of a heater, but it, it's sort of kind of like one of those Canucks heaters. They played really well last night. I thought the Blues were. I mean, they really took it to the Canucks, especially in the first forty minutes. But for the most part, this is not one of those commanding Blues teams of yesteryear, right? This is a team that's actually not a lot different from Vancouver. And I think actually, if you think critically about what you watched yesterday especially in that first period where the Canucks forecheck like really played um, the blues struggle to break out. The blues struggle to control play five on five. And, you know, in a lot of ways there's dark clouds on the horizon for the blues because they've got this aging blue line because they've got, um, you know, a lot of money sunk in to a defensive group that I, I just don't think is very good anymore. Right. Like they're, they're not, a particularly uh, imposing group, even though, you know, they still have so much more than the Canucks do back there uh, in, in overall NHL terms, like that's a problem. And yet, you know, first of all, they're better than Vancouver. Now they're more competent than Vancouver. Now. I think that was plain to see in watching the game last night. And you know, they have one huge advantage over the Canucks, which is that they actually have, like, cost certainty locked up for guys like Kairou and Rob Thomas, 
where the Canucks are still going to have to find that, right? Like Bo Horvat's going to be up. You know, I, I don't know who needs to hear this, but this team's not better without Bo Horvat, right? Like, I, I don't think that's controversial. Uh, Andre Kuzmenko has been a revelation for this team, a big find, but he's at least a four and a half million dollar player and could get up, up to six. Um, and all of this is going to be happening. You know, even Ethan Bear is going to be due a raise on $2.2 million, uh, particularly given the minutes he's playing for this team, the fact that he's arbitration eligible. Niels Hoaglander is not a guy, in my opinion, that you should grind on a one-year deal. Like He's a guy you should probably uh, look to capitalize on with something longer. That gets expensive, you know, as much as $2.5 million if you want to go more than two years. And then all of this is going to be taking place as the Canucks begin to haggle with Elias Pettersson, and I'm sure haggle is too negative a term, blank check territory, on his third contract, which is going to be extremely rich. And so, you know, the hard cap is cruel. The hard cap is unrelenting, unforgiving. And so are guaranteed contracts. Like, that's the combination of factors that NHL teams have to deal with. Uh, the Canucks have a lot of money locked up into players that are, you know, core slash supporting pieces who are on the going to be on the wrong side of 30 beginning next year. Um, they don't have cost certainty for their franchise centerman or their leading scorer and captain or their leading power play scorer. Uh, all of those deals are going to have to come in and are, are going to be more expensive. Like, I think there's a real case to be made that it's going to take some doing to avoid sort of what, what I think is already baked in, which is that this might be the best supporting cast we ever see around Pedersen and Hughes in their prime. And the team still, like, you know, I mean, mediocre is what it says on the headline. That might be putting it too tactfully. Yeah. They're not good. Yeah, it's your answer. We, we were having this discussion earlier in the show, um, and it was kind of a multi-part question, conversation. So I'll just run it by you now and any thoughts you have let us know. Um, it starts out with the question of, could the Canucks win a cup with Petey and Hughes being their best players? Assume the roster is filled out with good players. It's filled out much better than it is right now. Um, but none of them can be better than those two. So those are your two top dogs. Now, if the answer is yes to that, and it might not be um, for some people, but for the most people, for most people, it, it, it was that we're listening to the show today. If the answer is yes, handicap the possibility of filling out the roster with enough good players to support Petey and Hughes while they're still in their primes. And if the answer to either of these questions is, yeah, that's probably not possible, then what should the Canucks do? So I think the answer to this question, we actually talked about this a little bit on Canucks Talk yesterday. It's not actually about Patterson and Hughes so much as it's about what does everyone else have? Right? Like, at the end of the day, part of what makes this such a tough league, such a cruel league, is you have to be one of 32 if you're going to hoist the cup, right? And so, you know, the question isn't can Pedersen and Hughes win the cup as your best players, right? The question to me is are Pedersen and Hughes better than whatever duo 31 other teams are able to throw at you? Like, are, are, are you taking Pedersen and Hughes over Eichel and Theodore? Are you taking Pedersen and Hughes over Robertson and Haskinen? Are you taking them over McCarr and McKinnon? Are you taking them over Dreisaitl and McDavid? 
And if the answer is no on any of those, then the way that you're going to need to build to win a cup is to have a better supporting cast than all of those teams, right? To, to right, you make it up than, that way. Right, to do better than Landeskog, Nachushkin, Rantanen, Gerard, uh, Byram, and Devontae's, right? Like that's, and, and that's the thing, like, that's, I mean, I hope that's what we're doing here, right? We're not hoping to see the Canucks be one of 16 teams that make the playoffs. We're hoping to see them be one of 32, the last team standing, the team that gets to raise a banner, that gets to be called champs. And in order to do that, you know, you need great players. I think Pedersen and Hughes are very good players, uh, trending toward great. I mean, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Like, here's the other issue. You know, I remember 1920, right? My first year back covering this team. And it was uh, like watching the rise of these two. And I just assumed like, oh my goodness, like this might be the best forward in franchise history and the best defenseman in franchise history. And they're yeah. both coming into their own at the same time. And, you know, it's been four years since then. And if we're being honest, like Pedersen's on his way to putting in his second elite season. Yeah. Right? That was his yeah. first elite season. Mm-hmm. This is his second. And that's in six years. Right, so this is, or sorry, this is fifth year. So Pedersen's had one and a half elite seasons in five. Uh, Hughes, I think we'd say that was his only elite season, frankly. Right? I mean, yep. again, elite implies top five defensemen, right? Top five to ten. I agree. In terms of overall value, um, you know. So, I mean, we're not talking about players who, to this point, have demonstrated that year after year they're at the apex of the league. Right. And we're not talking about, you know, like you think about think about Austin Matthews, who hasn't won a playoff series. Right. Do you know, do you know that since expansion? So since 1968, so not counting guys like Cy Dennehy. Right. <laughs> um, only Mike Bossy and Mario Lemieux have scored goals at a higher per game clip than Austin Matthews. Yeah. Fourth place is Pavel Bure. Yep. And he's never been out of the first round of the playoffs. And he's been that good. Yeah. Like Connor McDavid's never won a round in the conference final yeah. or never won a game in the conference final. Yeah. Like think about how good you have to be, you know, like can the Edmonton Oilers ever win a cup with Connor McDavid? We wouldn't hesitate to say yes. Right. Can the Maple Leafs win a cup with Austin Matthews, the best player? We wouldn't hesitate to say yes. It's almost not about that. Right. It's like, it's so hard to do. So could the Canucks win a cup with Pedersen and Hughes as their best players? For sure. But it's going to, depend on so much outside of what those guys are as players. And there are, like, frankly, far better players who haven't gotten close, who haven't sniffed it, mm. um, which goes, you know, to show you just how much you need, right? Like, in the, and that's why the idea of being afraid of a rebuild or being like, man, this team really can't afford to trade a character like Luke Shen. Or, or honestly, even thinking that this team – can afford to sink more cap space, more, more commit more to this core group. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- why? In UFA why? years, too, for a guy who's going to be at the top of his value, and we're talking about Horvat. Yeah. I mean, wh- but, but why? Like, you're never... I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know how many more times we have to see this team. You know, and it's not that they're... It's not that Miller, Horvat. Pedersen and Hughes like I know people now are like looking for the culture reasons and and all this stuff and it's like you know I I mean I'm not saying that plays no role but 
in comparison with the lack of talent on this team. And I don't mean talent in terms of the offensive talent of PP1, right? Like, again, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. you should be able to be a really good team around Miller, Horvat, Pedersen, Demko, Hughes. Yeah, I agree. But, but not with this blue line. Not with no penalty killers. <laughs> not with no bottom six right-handed centermen that can, like, win you a draw four on five. Not with, you know, a, a forward group that trends light. Um, not with this team. And, and, I mean, how many more times do we have to see it? Like, we're going to do it a fifth season, a sixth season? Like, how, how, much, how much appetite is there to watch more of this? I mean, I can't imagine it's a lot. Watching the fans stream toward the exits by, by midway through the third period last night, hearing the boos, seeing fans wearing Canucks jerseys and paper bags on their heads. Like, I mean, what are we doing here? Drance, give us your best um, theory as to why the Canucks seem so hesitant to rebuild when nights like last night keep happening. Like, I don't, I guess I don't understand why they're, um, they're so loyal to this, this group. I don't, I don't really get it. Do you, do you have a, do you have a theory on this? I don't, I truly don't. I mean, I think there must be a sense that this market can't tolerate losing really good players. But I suspect that that's just projecting from, you know, organizational leadership, probably ownership, who can't actually stomach that. Um, But how can they stomach last night? I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, and, you know, my guess would be that new management has come in and, sees some things to like and believes that they can flesh out the roster, uh, the depth of the roster without making massive surgery uh, and still make it work. Uh, do you think you know, they bit I'm off sure. too much? Like, do you, do you think they, do well, you think, do you think they, they, they underestimated the challenges of this roster, especially in this flat cap environment, which was no secret by the way, when they took on the gig. I mean, I, I think the, I think there's no question, just based on their actions, not based on my conversations with anybody, just based on their actions, I think it's fair to look at this offseason and say, surely if they'd understood how far away this team was, they wouldn't have had the offseason they had. Right? I mean, it doesn't make sense to sign the JT Miller contract and be, what are they, six points out of the playoffs today? Something like that. Six points out of the playoffs with less than half of the season run. Um you know, uh, what they're, they're better by point percentage than Chicago, Arizona. Uh, are they even better by point percentage than Arizona? It's gotta be close. Arizona, uh, San Jose and Anaheim. And that's it. Like those are the only four teams in the West who have a lower point percentage than the Canucks. Um, you know, I think I said on, I think I said on Canucks talk in terms of the Canucks spot in the parade, they're ahead of only the clown cars. Right. And I, I mean, that's where they're at. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's hard to square. It's hard to, it's hard to look at the off season the Canucks had and then this team's performance and say, Hey, management expected them to be really bad. (laughs) I mean, that's impossible to understand. So, you know, I'm sure that they've been surprised by just how poorly the club has played. And yet, you know, I still think they probably look at it and, and look at all the rush chances against and, 
look at the way the team plays and think, hey, you know, this isn't really who they are still. This team with a with better structure in place and, and perhaps a different coach, you know, might might look an awful lot different, particularly if we can find a couple more guys, you know, a couple more Kuzmenko slash Amon slash Ethan Bear types to re- to flesh it out. Mm-hmm. And and I, I mean, from a management perspective, I'm guessing that's why uh, perhaps they thought that this club was closer than, than I think it is. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't think that there's, you know, I, I think the approach so far has been, hey, look, if we can find better players and eventually if we can get the right coach in, uh, this team can punch above their weight, can be more than the sum of their parts. And I, I just fundamentally disagree. Like, I just think this team, the only route to improving this team, like I think the gulf of talent, the gulf of two-way intelligence, the lack of ability on the blue line is so dire, is so significant that the only way to address it is arsenal of draft picks, arsenal of cap space, like massive amounts of cap space, play hardball with everybody you've got committed long-term, you know, definitely use buyouts and or the threat of buyouts. Um, you know, not, maybe you don't burn it all down in terms of trading Pedersen, Hughes, and, and Demko, if, depending on your mileage, but... Um, you know, pretty close, pretty close to a to a full teardown. Escape every commitment you can, and you know, spend a couple of years like accumulating in straight up raw accumulation phase. Uh, because otherwise, I just think you're going to get lapped. Like it's not just it's not just the teams that are better than you now. It's also you know, <laughs> what's LA going to look like in two years? It's Anaheim. It's you know, all these teams that the Canucks might be better than today or they're not necessarily going to be better than in a year or two uh, based on their trajectory, based on how they're trending, based on how their books line up. It's a really, really tricky situation. And uh, I mean, I think it's going to be, I think a rebuild's coming whether management and the organization is willing to accept it today or not. I think in 15 months, we're going to be talking about it like it's obvious or like the team is backed into a rebuild regardless. Mm -hmm. And it's just about whether or not they're able to, you know, grab those reins and make hay in the meantime, or if it's going to be a longer process because the organization uh, got their kicking and screaming just like they did in 2016, 2017, uh, the last time this failed. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot to unpack here, but one of the things is you talked about what management and ownership thought of this group, which is great. Like, you can have your projections onto what you think the group might do. But then there's either proof of concept or proof of, I guess, fallacy, right? And I think... Not all 5-1 losses at home are created equal, even though there's so many of them to choose from. The last two, to me, would be proof of concept that this surrounding part group isn't even close to being good enough. You take Pedersen and Demko out. It's a great opportunity for everyone else to show, well, what do we have as the secondary pieces and the pieces that we've built around this so-called core and this so-called supplementary offense and defense and the answer is it's not even close like Winnipeg came in on Saturday down the services of Blake Wheeler and Nate Schmidt two pretty useful contributors for the team and and Ehlers and And it wasn't that the entire thing collapsed the Canucks got outscored 10 to 2 in back-to-back home games with Pedersen out of the lineup and Demko already being out of the lineup like that to me is a really glaring example of oh man this thing isn't good enough because if you take one or two pieces away, yeah, they're huge pieces, it shouldn't collapse. And it really kind of has over the last two games. Yeah, the Winnipeg thing, like, the thing that annoys me about the Winnipeg thing is, you know, you enter this season, 
people talking about Vancouver having this elite depth down the middle, right? Pedersen, Horvat, Miller, and it sounds so good on paper. And then this Winnipeg team that no one took seriously prior to the season storms into town, and it's like Shifley, Dubois, Lowry. And it's like, all right, that's significantly better than (laughs) what Vancouver has. And it's like we repeat this every season. And, and, you know, I, I mean, in the summer, it's like, look at this. Look at this. It makes no sense that this team wouldn't be good. And it's like, yeah, but the pieces don't fit, and there's no defenders. They can't move the puck. Yeah, they can't kill a penalty. And then, and, and then by Christmas, we get to we're having the same conversations. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I honestly, it's like, I know you gentlemen are singing from the same hymn book, but it's, I mean, it's not hard to foresee, and yet this organization feels like it's the only one that's ever surprised by this. Mm. Well. Look at it this way, Drancer. Hey, you Merry and, Christmas, Drancer. You and I also hey, have... Merry Christmas to you guys. You and I also have the fantasy football semifinals to look forward oh, to. Oh, God. <laughs> hey, it's a big one. And uh, and what, you've your opponent is the best team in the league, but just lost Jalen Hurts, so you're sitting pretty. Am I monitoring Jalen Hurts' health updates minute by minute? Yes. Will I continue yeah. to do that <laughs> until Sunday? Yes. Okay, bud. Thanks for doing this. We appreciate it. Uh, talk soon. We'll do this next week. All right, cheers. Good luck. Bye. Thanks, buddy. Bye. That's uh, Thomas Trance from the Athletic Vancouver and uh, Canucks Talk here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Can I do a public service address to the people? Sure, yeah. Okay. Uh, there has been an update from YVR, the airport. Uh, it came out at 730 this morning. So the winter storm conditions are so severe that there are currently no flights departing YVR. I'm just on their website right now. Travel. I'll just read this verbatim, okay? Just so everyone... Uh, if you have uh, travel plans for today, one, go check it out. Two, go to the website. You can see this operations update. The current winter storm, including severe snowfall, has had an unprecedented impact on flights, affecting operations at YVR with mass cancellations overnight. Traveling continues to be significantly impacted this morning, and we anticipate cancellations and delays to continue through the day and week ahead. There are currently no flights departing YVR as we safely get passengers off aircrafts and clear the airfield and aircrafts of snow and ice to get planes and people moving again. They are asking people to please do not go to YVR if you absolutely do not need to. If you have a flight to Mexico, should you start walking? And if you have a flight to Hawaii, should you start swimming? Yes. The answer to both okay. is an is an absolute yes for me. Mm-hmm. It's a yes for me, dog. Right. Uh, anyway, I, I'm bringing this up because, look, we all have to deal with weather. I'm not one of those de facto people that wants to throw a white flag in the air and be like, oh, here's Vancouver people trying to deal with a bit of bad climate. Uh, it is also a active, living, breathing situation. You and just this isn't just a bit it. of bad climate. This is like the worst snow in like 10, 15 years. That's like 2008 probably. It claimed yeah. Laddie this morning. It's been mm-hmm. it's been a while since it's been this bad. I feel yeah, like Laddie I was in Laddie is now a again. snowman. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like this he, isn't just a little bit of snow. This is it's a lot. lot of snow. It's a lot. The roads are really tough right now. So do all the things that you can as a motorist to be smart about it. Clear your vehicles of snow on all of your windshields and surrounding windows. Get the snow off the roof. Take an extra 10 or 15 minutes to get your car prepped to go out on the road. Don't go out on the road if you don't have the appropriate tires. And when you are out on the road, uh, be slow, be safe, be careful. Don't tailgate. 
Don't try and do any crazy passes because you're frustrated with the speed in which traffic is moving. All mm. the sort of normal things that you would expect motorists to do in treacherous conditions. Don't go rogue. Invest in dog sledding. Okay. Do not be like the New England Patriots at the end of a football game. Don't just, go rogue. Just going for it. Yeah. Just follow the plan. Mm-hmm. Take a knee. I don't know how that analogy works, but take a knee. Okay. Just be safe. Yeah. If you can't, just stay home. Yeah. Uh, lots more to get to on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Big picture NHL stuff coming up with Greg Wyshynski from ESPN on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650.